Welcome to the Masters of Comic Books podcast, where we're two fanboys with all the power. I'm your player one, Cole L. And I'm your player two, Dayspring. What's up, Familia? Dayspring here to introduce our episode today. We have Cole L, who is my co-host over at Masters of Comic Books. The podcast is sort of on a hiatus right now, but Cole is the manager for the Instagram page at Masters of Comic Books. So go check out what Cole does there. He does a lot of reviews. You know, we did the Emma Dumont interview last week, and it was such a great interview and I want to thank everyone who has DM'd me about it. It's broken records on the on the podcast and we're trying to migrate a lot of our content to YouTube and it's got a nice engagement on YouTube, but the response to it has been very big and 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 lots and and plenty, mostly because it's a interview where we talk about X-Men, but we really talk about the mutant metaphor, social issues, advocacy, personal, very personal issues. And I think that has resonated a lot with all of you. So, you know, we do an episode like that, and then you're always like, oh, what, what, what's my follow-up episode to something like that? Because if there's one thing that I've learned podcasting over the years is that when you have a very special guest or you have a very special co-host and you have this really strong rapport, it makes podcasting worth it. And what I mean by that is sitting down, hitting record, sitting on a Zoom, talking for hours, and then having to go back and re-listen to this conversation, re-listen to yourself and you know make edits, make adjustments, make sure everything sounds right. And I have to tell you, the only way I could ever follow up an interview with Emma Dumont is by reuniting with my co-host Cole Al from Masters of Comic Books, because we have such a wonderful rapport. We literally started talking a couple of years ago, and we just both had this huge passion for similar things like the X-Men, Zelda... You know, we were geeking out about Steve Orlando and Jed McKay. When we took our first hiatus from Masters of Comic Books, we came back to cover Moon Knight, and then we did Obi-Wan. We both have younger brothers, and we even did a Top Zelda episode together. So, you know, I want to say that this episode for me is so incredibly special. Colel and I just have this really great rapport. We literally just... DM being like, hey, you want to do an episode together? It was like, sure, why not? And we just jumped on and hit record, and that's it. You, you have the episode here. We did not miss a beat. And once we hit pause, we talked for a couple more hours afterwards. So I just want to say that I am very proud of this episode. It's a lot of fun. This episode to me is emblematic of why we podcast. When you sit down with a friend who just read for the first time messiah complex second coming messiah war the utopian era and mike carries x-men and you can sit down and you can geek out and they're giving you your reaction their reaction and reminding you of plot points you missed and you're also filling in some gaps in larger x-men knowledge and it's just this infectious energy of wanting to swap passions and i think that's all very present in this episode so 
enjoy. Make sure to hit up Cole at Masters of Comic Books with any of your X-Men related questions. I don't remember if this was in the episode, but we definitely have discussed doing more than just X-Men on this podcast. I think you've kind of seen it in some of our content. We had Walter Jones. We've had some indie writers here. So we really are trying to expand expand our reach. So slide into Cole's DMs if you want to talk to him about the X-Men or other indie books or any DC stuff. I mean, his knowledge of comics is next level. It's it's funny. I can be very focused on X-Men lore and understand everything going on with X-Men history. But apart from that, everything else is also scattered and tattered for me. And you can talk to Cole about Spider-Man. You can talk to him about anything going on with DC. And you hear that in this episode. So please make sure to check out Masters of Comic Books and enjoy this episode. Oh my God, I'm so excited to be recording this episode with you, Colel. I'm so excited to be here. It's been a hot minute. It has been, and people DM me about Masters of Comic Books, and they're like, is that ever coming back? I mean, it hasn't gone away. I mean, the podcast kind of has, but it's still on Instagram. I mean, follow me. I mean, it's mainly me now, even though your name's still on it. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I I will happily be there. Um, And I think you do such a great job. You do such a great job with Instagram. I appreciate it. I mean, it's just reviews and poll lists and stuff. But thank you. That means a lot. No, well, I mean, it's the reviews are, we were talking about this before we hit record. I just feel like you have such a good ear to the ground with which books need to be reviewed and how you get people to engage with it. I'm just, I'm really, just really impressed by how you do that. Thank you. That truly means a lot. And of course, Power of X-Men is truly wonderful. I love it. (laughs) And that's not just because you asked me to be on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, people are going to be thrown off because I do plan on playing our Masters of Comic Books intro for this. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm your player one, Cole L, and I'm your player two, Dayspring. Dayspring. Wow. Yeah. yeah. All this some... synth work. <laughs> um, but yes, folks, the podcast Masters of Comic Books is available still out there, and we reviewed Moon Knight. We had Jed McKay on there. We did some really great interviews. Yeah. Um, uh, Kelly Thompson, Thompson was on there. Yes! Uh, so... Uh, Kenny Johnson, uh, who's currently writing Superman. Yeah, and you know, it's so funny. I saw him at Megacon, and I wanted to go. So I saw him at New York Comic Con maybe last year or the year before, and he remembered, obviously, our interview. <laughs> and I saw him at Megacon, and I wanted to go up to him, but he was on his phone, and I was like, I'm not going to disturb someone who's on their phone. But Philip Kennedy Johnson, if you're listening, please. Oh, and mm-hmm. um, Jed McKay obviously remembered us when I spoke to him in October. Oh, at cool. Your comic con. I was like, Hey, I don't know if you know, and he's like, you're day spring. And I was like, yes. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Thank you for remembering. Yeah. And then Steve Orlando was our very first, almost like our first episode before we even had a logo or anything. Oh yeah. <laughs> and before he had Marauders. Yeah. Which is crazy. Cause he was like, yeah, I have some cool titles coming up. And we're like, Oh, I wonder what that is. <laughs> and it's so funny because I speculated on the podcast that it was going to be at one point and there was a rumor that there was going to be a weekly X book. Mm-hmm. And I speculated that he was going to write it, but he ended up doing Marauders, which, you know, he did a lot of great stuff there. And he also, when I had him on the podcast to discuss Marauders, he said like, oh, you look familiar. Have we done something before? And I was <laughs> like, yeah, it was Masters of Comic Books. 
So he remembered you. He was here like, how's your co-host there? So shout out. To oh, well, that's you know. that's very sweet of him. I hope he's doing well because I'm loving all that he's coming out with Marvel. Scarlet Witch is phenomenal. I don't think Scarlet Witch is getting the love it should be getting. I think it's such a fun book. It is. It's a fun book. I mean, we finally have a Wanda Maximoff focused book. And I think it's really um, a really good story that's really focused on her character. And I love the whole like last door vibes that like whoever walks in um, needs desperate help and Scarlet Witch kind of does it. It makes each story kind of like a fun one shot, but there's like some loose connections here and there. I love the inclusion of Darcy Lewis, um, which I think that's her first appearance, like in yeah. comic book form. And I love that he made her, made Darcy her own character, kind of not just an entire MCU uh version of it like she's like is like a reporter and stuff and anyway I, well, did last issue come out last week or two weeks ago anyway i know i remember loving it plus you have sarah pacelli drawing it and uh, matt matthew wilson, wilson yeah coloring it. it it's a good book it's a good Russell book Dodderman, i believe is doing issue five he's doing yes. interiors for issue five mm -hmm. i just i really i can't say enough good things about the book but the steve orlando we talked about this when we had him on Masters, he has such a wide range of knowledge of all of the Marvel characters. And not only does he have a wide range of knowledge of some obscure characters, but he genuinely loves these characters. And, and I think that's why he puts them shows. all... Well, yeah, and I think that's why he does that in his stories. I mean, you can even see it in his Marauders. There's so much like deep continuity and characters that have been long forgotten that are brought in and it's great i love when uh creators do stuff like that it's just the downside with his marauders though it was just too much too too soon basically like there was just too much crammed into such little amount of time which is ambitious ambitious because he was trying to do something new which is always great but the downside to that is um he tried to do too much because I think he had a feeling he didn't he wouldn't have enough time to uh deliver it, unfortunately. And that's just the current status of comics, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm always so curious on how like the comic book industry is measuring success in the industry. I mean, before you would look at like the shipping numbers and stuff like that, and you could get like, okay, this book is now shipping thirty thousand copies when it was before shipping a hundred. So this is probably gonna get canceled soon. But I think the digital space has, you know, revolutionized that. The old rule used to be that it was 10% of whatever ships is digital. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't know how it is anymore. Ever since the pandemic, the numbers don't get reported in the same mm -hmm. vein as they used to. And again, I would wager there's more of a digital readership that maybe wasn't there before. So I'm just curious how it all happens. But Steve... You know, one of the things I knew I was going to be sold on Marauders, and I actually did jump off Marauders, to be very clear. But when we had him on on Power of X-Men, he was talking about, he was like, yeah, how funny is it that Captain Kate is leading this book and Cassandra Nova's there? And I was like, oh, because of Genosha, because mm -hmm. Kitty's father was on Genosha. And yeah. he just gave a knowing nod. And, you know, he clearly has his ear to the ground, you know, with what readers want to see and those character moments that you should have. Which is really special, too, because that's kind of an era that 
I don't think it's referenced really anymore. You're honestly, like the second person to tell me that today. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, someone was just like, Pilar survived the Genosha genocide and no one ever addresses it. I was like, I feel it was it was addressed, you know, back in the day. But I guess you're right. It's like 25 years later. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you, no one really talks about it enough. I mean, even Cassandra Nova never really made an appearance much, I feel like, after like Grant Morrison stuff. I mean, I think she appeared in like a very forgotten Uncanny X-Force that was like in the early 2010s so and grandpa then... grandpa days take what happened with cassandra nova she originally yeah, was stuff right that was the and here comes tomorrow she was she was mm -hmm. turned into stuff and when she explodes you know you see the green thing there she was also supposed to be earnest right mm -hmm. and planned x you know it's outwardly insinuated by magneto and she says in here comes tomorrow to uh martha like you of course you can still call me earnest europe after the rain i still love that one and then they, they didn't know what to do with her, and they they had an astonishing X-Men arc where Emma was feeling guilty about Cassandra Nova and everything that happened. So she had, you know, her kind of in her mind. And then Was she, that the I, Whedon and Cassidy? Yeah, I run? believe. Oh, my God. What was it? Oh, God. I think it was called Torn. I think it was called okay. Torn. Okay. The arc was called Torn. And then Cassandra Nova officially, officially came back during, um, during X-Men Ride. But... At the end of Grant Morris's new X-Men, when Chuck Austin wrote like Bright New Morning, they mm -hmm. do address that the mansion exploded and Cassandra Nova was locked in there and they didn't know where she was at. Oh, okay. Your X-Men history <laughs> is so much better than mine. I'm still like I've been reading X-Men stuff like thoroughly my as best as I can for three years, and I'm still it's, it's never it's never it's, 20 years from now you will have the knowledge. I mean, it's really hard to, it's a lot, honestly, especially, I, I don't comprehend things very well. <laughs> oh, I disagree with that. It, it's just a lot, and I ha always have trouble with it. I mean, I even had trouble, I just recently read all of Mike Carey's run, which I never realized had such a, it's, I think it, it's so, it's criminally underrated. I hope they come out with, like, with some re-releases of that in omnibus format or something because that deserves more recognition. I mean, that's where like Children of the Vault come from. Rogue gets such a, uh, is written so well. I mean, there's some really good prof Professor Xavier stuff in there too. And it's it's good stuff. They're the one of the One of the scenes that really stand out to me for mike harry's run was his necrotia tie-in where destiny comes back and, yes and rogue goes to ruth and she's like what did she say mm -hmm. and they have this moment and you know i don't know if you picked this up because the editorial for hope changed quite a bit but it's pretty it you can see it everywhere yeah <laughs> hope, hope and rogue were supposed to have a very special connection because that's mentioned actually because i think in in like I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but it's like an aftermath oh. issue of one of the many little events that they did. But like, in, in the scene that I was talking about with Necrotia, mm -hmm. Irene, Destiny, looks at her. She goes, you know, Rogue's like, Mom, I want to tell you so much about my life. And she goes, I've seen it. I am so proud of you. And remember, when the time comes, you are bound to that child in ways that matter. Mm -hmm. And that was a reference to Hope. And it was so beautiful. And Rogue just looks at her. She goes, I love you, Mom. And like hugs uh -huh. her. Like Mike Carey 
nailed it. I'm sorry. Now I interrupted your interruption. No, 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 no. Here You're go. good. No, that's that's basically if you listen to Master Comic Books, it's just interruption after interruption after interruption. Then we never <laughs> finish the initial thought. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, listeners. But I'm so glad you're done. Tell me about what do you love about Mike Carey's run? Is there a particular like story? There's, so I mean, many it's all really, it's, I mean, I think it just starts off really strong with the Supernova's arc, like when he introduces oh, yeah. like Children of the Atom. And I'm a huge, huge uh, Chris Pachado fan. I love his art. Um, and he, even like with the many, I guess, tie ins to like the many events he had to, contribute to he still managed to write individual stories but still contribute to the main event very well which very few creators can do i mean al ewing can do it phenomenally but mike carey did a really great job in like respecting the x-men history and really progressing like the longevity of his entire run there was like slow progressions of characters that was just phenomenally done well in my opinion like like I said, with Rogue, and I love the focus on uh, Charles Xavier in the beginning of the X-Men Legacy series when it was, uh, when that was relaunched. And it was just, it's very good. And you can see, I was able to see so many influences from my carries run that are in, or at least were uh, hinted in the, when Craig Koa started and stuff with like Mr. Sinister or the Children of the Vault. And um, uh, even like, I even think it's uh, there. There's like influence with Morgan McTaggart when uh, she's in Age of X and stuff, like behind uh, manipulating. It's not Morgan's not manipulating Legion, but um, just her character plays a big part in that. And I just, it, it's cool. I love it. <laughs> well, I have to tell you first. So, God, I have so much I want to say. Age of X in my opinion, was the smart version of Age of Apocalypse. Not to, I, I don't want to discredit Age of Apocalypse because it's a lot of style, it's a lot mm -hmm. of plot, and it was it's done an, so it's well. It's a smart, condensed version. Yeah. Like, but, if you don't want to read 30 billion comics, you can kind of, like, it's all kind of condensed in one thing, and it works at a, as a standalone story. Well, it, it's exactly. And it's again, Xavier is off the map. And how does it happen? It's because when Xavier goes into Legion's mind, he tricks him mm -hmm. and he sees Moira. And he's like, Moira. And that works so well, especially when you look at it in retrospection with the Krakoan age. But okay, so my favorite arcs for for that, um, I loved I love Age of X. And then it bleeds into five miles south from the end of the universe yes yeah 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 because because yeah, it like when they run into havoc and polaris and stuff like the five miles Empire. south of the universe yeah well because phoenix was there and, and we didn't really know mm -hmm. at the time you're seeing it and you know rachel has the line where she's like lost i was on my way home but this doesn't look like me this is, doesn't look like my home and then we find out later it's rachel and that issue where she steals, oh, I'm forgetting what, what power does Rogue siphon, but she has to live the day backwards. Mm -hmm. And at the end, because Rachel sends, for those of you at home, Rachel sends a distress call to the X-Men. They're X-Men. Uh, you have the X-Men in space at that point that hadn't been heard from. So you had Havoc, Polaris, and Rachel. They're literally in the middle of this like like battle. And Rachel sends like Almost like a Civil War sort of deal going on. 
and she sends out a distress call and it's a psychic you know message of her and she arrives on utopia as legion is doing the age of x so mm -hmm. at the end rogue has to sort of figure out what where's rachel because the message got kind of like discombobulated and that line where rogue says i don't know much but i know god didn't let you fly halfway across the universe just so we can watch you melt and she's mm -hmm. here like you're gonna be fine rachel i know where you are i'm coming and it's so beautiful the way it's done i just big character moments without it having to be a big crossover if that makes sense exactly that's what's so cool about that because we want we got to watch rogue kind of build up to how strong of a character she was because in the beginning of his run with just the straight x-men title because she had like some sort of like death touch or something because like she was uh, i can't think of the it, it's been a little bit since i've read it but sorry i'm drawing a blank well, well she had the reaper touch when in age of x Obviously, yeah. where she like absorb people. I'm forgetting mm -hmm. exactly what you're talking about. Which touch she had at the beginning of the run, but well, because oh, because uh, she had like uh, tons of like because um, if she because when she absorbed somebody, she would also get like their memories and everything. Yeah, so she was following. Yeah, and that was a big thing following Messiah Complex, especially. Yeah, because I remember because Mystique used Hope as a baby to wake her up or something. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's because the baby was originally supposed to be Jean, and that would have been the Phoenix touch that was going to be able to wake her. But that uh, was that was going that was originally going to be the thing. Yeah. Well, so originally the Messiah baby, and I worked at Wizard when this happened. Wow. Um, the Messiah baby was editorially supposed to be Jean. No kidding. I had no really? idea about that. Well, we no. have an entire episode here on Power of X Men called Hope Summers was originally supposed to be Jean Grey, and the idea was that. You know, the Jean was in the White Hot Room at the time, mm -hmm. and she was collecting her pieces. That's where we had last seen her at the end of Phoenix End Song. So if you look at the X-Men stories around this time, the characters who had Phoenix fragments in them started losing them. One of them being Rachel when she's in space, and she's like, ah, and the Phoenix leaves her. And she goes, not now, not now, mom. And then the cuckoos on Utopia, the Phoenix leaves them, and it goes off to, you know, hope. The idea was that the Messiah baby was going to be born and Cyclops holds her and he realizes who the baby really is. And she that's why he gives the baby to Cable and Cable goes off into the future to raise her in the way the slim and red raised him in the future. So it's supposed to parallel their stories. But mm. I you know, we can we can argue that it was I've, I've asked around. I don't know why it changed editorially. I I have to. If I had to guess, it was because of Fox and movie film rights and they, the fact that the X-Men weren't a priority and a story of Jean Grey coming back, I think, would have lent itself a lot editorially. But there was a I point mean, I could kind of see that because by the time Hope was all kind of grown up is about when Iron Man came out or something. I mean, I don't know if that was a big priority, but um, or if were... that was in like with because it wasn't as big at, at that moment, but I could kind of see that. Well, the X-Men editorially were being sidelined for a while. You know, Messiah Complex no. was supposed to be a return to form. And then it was really great. But around the time of Second Coming, at the end, you get the Avengers in there. And that's the X-Men are done. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because it's just it's a big kind of it's a weird era, honestly. And it's a dark era, too. Yeah. 
I mean, because you had uh, X-Force kind of start up around then, which I can't read that. Really? By, like, Greg Kyle and Christopher Yost. I can't read it. First of all, I don't like the art. I can't. Really? No, it's too stiff wow. and I love weird. the art. I can't get behind it. No, and it's just super violent. I mean, comics comics around them were kind of super violent around that time. But that's just, I'm tired of, I don't know. There was just a lot of killing. I couldn't get behind it. (laughs) Did you you ever read Remenders on Kenny X-Force? Yes, and I really enjoyed that. And the reason why I ask you that is because in it, uh, at the time, Remenders said, I know X-Force is known for being violent and killing, but we are going to center a lot of stories around do we have to kill in mm-hmm. this and that's and why I, we had baby apocalypse and why that was so con- i mean obviously that was a red herring but yeah um the decision to kill baby apocalypse really shook the team yeah because that was like the first arc and stuff and i at, that was like one of the first uh actual like x-men things i read um before i read uh oh, Pox. yeah well i didn't uh, read maybe it you did tell me that and i didn't absorb it well like I didn't read it all the way through. I just read the first book because it was like right before the pandemic and I was trying, I was just dipping my toe into comics. So I read like the first trade paperback when I checked it out for my library. Um, mm-hmm. So it was very, I, I knew nothing of what the hell was going on. <laughs> it, it's a good series to like jump into if you, you know, like more standalone X-Men stories. It's definitely one of the ones I think that's accessible. But the one thing, I, okay. I know you said you read this because we were talking on DMs. The one thing I do love about that Kyle Yost era of X Force was Necrotia. I didn't. I couldn't get behind Necrotia. It's, actually, it's fine. No one can. It's not a very good story. It's, it's not. Not to say <laughs> that it wasn't fun. Oh, and that was another reference to Hope being Gene was because Gene wasn't resurrected at that point. During Necrotia, that makes sense, yeah. Because she was already among the living in the mm-hmm. future, um, but it was just fun. Now, listen, was it was it like one hundred percent? No, it it missed a lot of markers. But you know, there's this moment where Emma, you know, encounters Banshee, and Banshee like is with him. Goes, oh my god, Emma! And you know, if you're mm-hmm generation x fan you know emma took his death really to heart when he died in deadly genesis it little moments like that did pay off yeah i couldn't get but it's not a good it. story it's not no it's not. it's not it's probably story. the worst because i because um when i was reading my carries run i read like all like the little events that took place in it like messiah complex uh messiah war um necrotia uh second coming age of x i read all that stuff and i think necrotia was like the worst of it what did you think of? We've talked about Messiah Complex and nauseum on this podcast. We we love Messiah Complex. What is your experience with it now that it's been like twenty years since it was released? So this was actually my second time reading it. I read it a year or two ago when I was just reading like the Uncanny X Men stuff because I I liked Ed Brubaker, so I read Ed Brubaker's Uncanny. So um, I read. Yeah, I read that, and uh, that led in, and I saw that Matt Fraction took over on Uncanny, so I also read that. Anyways, um, uh, I I really enjoyed uh, Messiah Complex actually because I thought it was it was structured really well, and I think it um, transitioned into the 
each different title that was involved really well. Um, I even liked uh, Mike Carey's X-Men that uh, using the Marauders and Mr. Sinister stuff, how that kind of led up to it too, because they were talking about like the pages from destiny and stuff, which I thought was really cool. And, and that was such a big, like destiny's diaries was such a big plot point in the late nineties, early aughts, especially with extreme X-Men, like Mm -hmm. extreme X-Men were tasked to go find destiny's diaries. And then they just dropped the plot entirely. And then they resurfaced, during Messiah Complex, or even a little bit before Messiah Complex, because they because Carrie did it in his run, yeah. like leading up to it, because Sinister was playing a pretty big role with all that. Emma has such a great scene where she's here, like talking to Kitty, and Kitty's like, "Well, we know about Destiny's Diaries," and then Emma's like, "Yes, we get it. Kitty Pride is well versed in Destiny's Diaries. <laughs> I skimmed her mind to see what I could find. I came up short. Like it was." <laughs> hysterical the way i i love the emma kitty dynamic now but i love it now because they were antagonistic towards each other for such a long time Mm -hmm. it's that that development's very cool but yeah i thought messiah complex was probably the stronger out of the like i guess like three acts they did so it was if, a return to form in like a real like X-Men crossover, which we hadn't mm-hmm. gotten in, in such a long time. And, you know, I think it was the first time, and I forgot who I was talking about. I, I may have said this in a post yesterday on Power of X-Men, but following House of M and No More Mutants, the the books did not have any direction. You had like mm-hmm. the 197. The books were wayward. It was only until Messiah Complex that now we had an overarching story that would last seven, 10 years, you know, it would culminate with AVX. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that direction in the X books very much. So I think that's, what's really nice about it is like, if you kind of look at it there, I would agree with you. Like there was actually finally a sense of direction with things and it kind of felt nice to like coming from where I'm at. It looks like it was a kind of a pretty decent time because to read X books after House of M because they were good. I mean, I I thought it was a really solid story X crossover book that was really fun, and I think it worked. And then I think the downside to it is just it ended up getting it was just prolonged for so long though, like it just it was stretched way too thin to the point where you got yeah an ending like AVX that no one that that not a lot of people tend to regard as a highly good story no and it's not and like here's the thing I say this about House of M I say this about AVX you read the actual books themselves they're not great but the concept and ramifications of them have aged nicely in the Marvel canon you know Mm -hmm. House of M Wanda is not does not have much jurisdiction in that story it's kind of putts around for a couple issues but people want to see house of m done in the mcu because it is such a ground you know it's such a monumental moment but also avx we now have the rising tension or like that friction with the avengers and the x-men and that's fun people enjoy that and they also want to see that in the mcu yeah and it's i i would actually really agree with you how the ramifications like the aftermath of it were developed pretty well after afterwards i guess i mean they all in my opinion all the characters 
come out looking bad and then people forget about it. Like the Avengers are like, oh, we've been monitoring the Phoenix since the Jean Grey incident. It's like, well, okay, first of all, the Phoenix has been back to Earth countless times, times. Yeah. Like <laughs> since the Dark Phoenix saga. So what tech are you doing? And then secondly, when you get the Phoenix five, why didn't they try to repower the mutant race? That's always going to be I, my biggest plot point. Because I mean, because you had wanted. it that whole time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you yeah. have this power. Are you going to use it? <laughs> but, and it's okay, by the way, editorially, this is what you say. Even though we have the powers of the Phoenix, we can't repower the, the, the mutant gene for whatever reason. Right? That's it. Because it has to be hope. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Hope for whatever reason has the wiring of it. Um, they all look like douchebags. Like they all come out looking bad. So I agree with you. I think had those ramifications really fall, fallen out. But I think the idea of AVX, like as a marketing, the, how about this? I think the marketing for it was good. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, all you have to say is Avengers versus X-Men and you're going to get books that sell. So yeah. Heroes versus Heroes, I mean, to the average reader is going to, I mean, it's going to make anybody want to read the book or any average reader read the book and everybody will buy that number one issue. You know what I really so the way I see the Messiah story is endangered species, which is the beast. Did you read those? those short yeah, yeah, oh, I actually and those are actually really good, too. I, I believe Carrie wrote them. That's why Carrie he wrote, wrote it. Yeah, he wrote a majority of them. There was like a few parts here and there where I think like Christos Cage did like two or like uh, Chris Rios did like two, but majority of it, like the whole thing as a whole would probably be Carrie's work. And I really liked it. I love the beast. I love the whole thing. And like the inclusion of Dark Beast was really oh, cool too. The best version of Hank McCoy. Oh yeah. But that scene where he meets Wanda and you know, the clock, you know, they're talking mm -hmm. about the broken watch and he's here like, part. Wanda, you know, are you trying to tell me not to ask who you really are? And she's here like, I'm telling you to back off. The world could be much worse. And then she hands him the clock and it said zero hour. And then he goes back mm -hmm. and he's like, my name is Hank McCoy and we are going to be extinct. You know, boom, and it ends there. And that's when we pick up with Messiah Complex. So Endangered Species, Messiah Complex, Messiah War, and then I would throw in uh, Second Coming, Children's Crusade, because it deals directly with mm -hmm. Wanda, and then Second Coming. Or excuse me, AVX. Is yeah. Where I would, that's how I would do the, the Messiah story. If kind you of like the timeline it. of it. And I think, did you read Children's Crusade? Uh, I've read a long time. I did like a huge read through of like the Young Avengers yeah. stuff by like Alan Heinberg and uh, uh, Jim Chung. Um, I just, I remember I didn't like it as much, I guess. It, I was a little weirded out with the Doctor Doom and Scarlet Witch sort of deal. Um, but it's He's an okay a bride story. of doom or prisoner of doom. It, it was kind of like left field there. I think they needed a foil for the stories, how I remember it. But I thought it was good character moments like that scene where one is like, oh, Billy, I'm so sorry. What kind of person doesn't recognize her own, you know, son? I, yeah, stuff like that. I really enjoyed. Like, I'm always like a sucker for mother's. Well, yeah, it's Jim Chung. He's yeah. a fantastic yeah. artist. I'd read anything that he drew him. That was a it was an interesting era in the X books because there was direction, but they weren't a priority editorially. And yeah, it was like they had a direction, but there was no they they saw a goal, 
but they didn't have it finalized. And so they decided to stretch it out as much as possible. This is and true. then, well, and then they got to some point that they had an opportunity and they did not take it. They decided to pro- prolong it super long. And then it kind of put the Xbox in a weird state for many, many years. Oh, what happens afterwards? Although I don't hate Bendis's era, to be very honest with you, it just it's not it's not as bad. I think it just gets a bad rap because it's Bendis. Well, so okay, explain to me, explain to Grandpa here why why do people not like Bendis? I mean, I he was. You have to understand. I I, I don't follow him as a creator, so I don't understand mm-hmm. if he said something I or don't, if there's something. But like, he Miles hasn't Morales, said anything. Miles Morales, I don't know. Like, in the yeah, ultimate I actually universe. just got those. I yeah, just got those omnibuses. Even House yesterday. of M. I mean, House of M. Everyone was like, "Oh my God, Bendis is writing House of M." And then all of a sudden, he does all new, you know, all new X Men. He does his Revolution, Uncanny X Men, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, it's like, "Oh, Bendis sucks." And I'm like, "What? Where did this conversation come from?" I don't know, honestly. I like he's like maybe because he's just written so many books, and so it all just kind of meshes in together and people are kind of tired i mean i really don't know like there are just some quirks to his writing that i'm not like the biggest fan of i mean uh, actually honestly i do love the bendis speak (laughs) i'm kind of a sucker for it uh wait what is the bendis speak specifically like uh the repeated words of dialogue or just a weird i mean you could easily just find like open a book from daredevil or uh miles morales and you can usually find it but i don't know maybe like his he ignores like the ongoing continuity and writes it in his own stories or something i don't know yeah that's Um, fair it's i don't know like it's it was i listen there's no doubt that after avx the x-men were done for until krakoa I mean, well, absolutely. There's, some, there, there's some gems there. I don't want to disqualify some of the stories mm-hmm. I got there, but the X-Men just were not a priority at Marvel. It was obvious the MCU and the Avengers were at their height. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, so I agree with you. It's, it's it's so weird because after AVX, you had the Bendis era and then uh, Secret Wars happened. And then Marvel, because they, they were trying to make Inhumans a thing, correct? Yeah, Uncanny Inhumans. Oh, I was so angry. And I feel bad because i like inhuman characters i like black bolt i like crystal mm-hmm. i love i love so many inhuman characters but you had to be part of the readership at that time and so it's not even just that they, they weren't featuring the x-men in prominent stories or, or or good stories it was also like on twitter and form spring the editors would pur- purposely troll x fans and it just left such a bad taste in your mouth you know what i mean it's it's weird to look back at it now because well and i i did i actually did read some of those books not when they're coming out but like because i'm always curious i'm like is it really as bad or is it just getting shit because it's um the way how editorial is doing things and there's actually some really good stories within that and like um, pretty good writers and stuff are around during that era too like it's surprised like jeff lemire was writing extraordinary x-men granted yeah. it's kind of sucks but yeah like gene was like at like empire university or something like that and she was mm-hmm. wearing that dress that people did like at the time yeah it's it's so weird isn't it? like just to look back at it and see like 
where the X-Men were and how they're at now, like with Krakoa and stuff and how they're such a priority now. It's so weird. Well, I have to tell you, again, genius marketing with however you feel. I've always said this. It doesn't matter how you feel about Krakoa and House of X and Powers of Ten. They Marvel did a slam dunk. They put the X Men back on the map with that. And originally, this was only supposed. It was only supposed to be seven issues, and it has turned into a brand new era for for the X Men. Like so, Hawksbox was only supposed to be ten, seven yeah. issues. So we oh, had Jordan. Shit. We had Jordan D White on the podcast, and House of X, as originally pitched, was only going to be seven issues. Mm. And a writer... does like those seven issues though. Huh? He, he Hickman does those sort of like oh, yeah. seven issue stuff. I feel like, or just like some of his indie stuff. Like, for example, I read Decorum. That was seven issues. Anyway, go ahead. No, I haven't read Decorum. I haven't. I'm loving so many indie books, sidebar. I was thinking of you (laughs) because you are such an indie book reader. And I, I, yeah, my collection's huge. Yeah. I I haven't, everything's in boxes or just thrown around here. I haven't really been that big historically on indie comics. Like, I'll read like graphic novel memoirs and stuff like that, but I have been Mm -hmm. reading nonstop like OGNs. And like indie graphic novels, and I love them. Cockchu, uh, which is <laughs> originally what we want, is that how you pronounce it? The Jerry Dugan. Yeah, it's called the Kaju. giant Cockchu. That's the what giant it's called. Cockchu. I love that so much. And originally, when we were brainstorming what we were going to talk about in this episode, I was like, I want to talk about Cockchus. I was like, on an X Men pod. I mean, I guess he's an X Men writer, so I guess that could work. <laughs> we, I'm trying to expand, like. You know, I'm I'm trying to expand our palette here because understandable. There's so many great indie books that just I want to talk about them. You know, I, mm-hmm. I read I Kill Giants, which I had never read before. I've actually never read that, but I've always it's always like one of those books that you got to read when it comes yeah. to like graphic novels. I have not actually read that. Um, but yeah. <laughs> what other one? Um, I was reading one. And I was talking about it with Steve Fox. I'm not quite sure what Steve Fox does on the book. I even asked him that. The Blue Book, it's about the UFO story of the 60s. I wonder if he's like an editor or something. Well, because it's by James uh, Tiny and the Fourth. Yeah. Um, Hang on. Which, that's that's kind of cool, too. I love conspiracies and stuff. Have you ever read his Department of Truth? You know what? I don't think I have. That I want to say fun. I've heard of it, but mm-hmm. I could be getting that cross with something else. That one's really good. That's heavy conspiracy stuff. I mean, it's basically just conspiracy wikipedia stuff but it's fun i like it have you read the zoe thorgood it's lonely at the center of the earth uh, i really uh, want to i've been i think i might have ordered that for my library <laughs> oh my god i thought i've been sl- i've been trying to get into her dms i've been trying um to to get her on the podcast she she's so young and her work is already revolutionary and I've I just heard, like I've heard that books gonna... is the best of last year, like the best book from last year. Yeah. And and again, talking about small stakes in a story, it's just a memoir of her going to her first like con as an artist and sort of her career. Not I don't want to say not a lot happens, but it's just so personal that every stake feels high because mm-hmm. she talks about her anxiety, all of that stuff, sort of the things that have happened to her along the way. And she makes it so grand and epic. Oh, so good. Um, I got to read that then. I also have The Impending Blindness of Billy Scott. I believe that's what it's called. I have that too downloaded. Um, I actually have a physical copy and I started reading it last year. 
but I didn't get a chance to finish it. Um, oh, and Highwayman too. I don't know if you've read Highwayman. I feel like I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. Koren Shidami um, is a writer for it who was going to be on the podcast, but I got booked for a gig and I forgot to cancel on him. Aww. It was like, hey, sorry, man. I know you're waiting, but um, I'm at a gig and never heard back from him. So Aww. I feel so bad because I loved Highwayman. Man, we totally went off. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. Okay, anyway, so what else from that from that X-Men era have you read that you are like really obsessed with? I don't know if I'm obsessed with, but it's I will say it's fascinating when the Dark Avengers and uh X-Men crossover, the Utopia storyline oh, by yeah. Matt Fraction. Yeah. Well, what's fascinating is they build their little island. I'm like, oh, that's kind of like Krakoa. <laughs> that's why when Destiny says there will be an island, not the first, but the last. Oh, I love mm. it. You know, referencing Genosha and Utopia. I listen, it's funny. I think Utopia, when we look back on it, was a very happy time for the X-Men. I know it's kind of weird to say that because they mm. were living basically on a rock in the water. But I just picture the cuckoos shopping in, you know, the Bay Area. Emma and Scott really finding their footing as a couple together. Kitty returns from outer space. Magneto joins the X-Men. You get Namor. You get the extinction team. Yeah. It's like it kind of seemed like everybody was actually on the same page and until like a uh, schism came out. Uh, yeah. Which that's an oddball, too. I feel like that that feels and it's be- and which sucks, too, because I'm a huge I love Jason Aaron. I love his. I think that branched off into like Wolverine and the X Men. I really enjoyed that book. I don't know. Really? I don't know if you do or not. I hated that book. No shit. Why? Why do you hate that book? Paige Guthrie is the lunch person just there dating (laughs) Toad. No, 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 no. Um, it just it felt kind of. Here's the thing. I liked Schism. It didn't really make sense at the time other than editorially they wanted Scott and Wolverine to be on opposite ends. I think that's the thing. It was almost like they just they wanted two big books, you know, like two separate big books. That's what that's why schism happened, because the story didn't feel organic at Mm -mm. all. But I'll say for schism, I thought everything you had to like sum up was in that the scene between Cyclops and Wolverine, what they were really finding about when he's here like you know she never really loved you she was afraid of you and he's here like and if she were here right now who do you think she'd be more afraid of and they just boom Mm -hmm. i always just thought though like i thought wolverine would get it that cyclops was trying to save their species and with that comes a lot of very difficult decisions yeah and i don't i feel cyclops gets ragged on but he was I, I do th- Cyclops does get a lot of shit like almost too much I feel like and uh, the Marvel comics especially that followed AVX just like continued to make it worse unfortunately his so when you think of Cyclops during this era I have to make it about Gene of course go the ahead <laughs> entire era is predicated on the fact that he believed at that moment with the Messiah baby, that it was Gene reborn and that Gene was going to come back and save the Munich mm-hmm. race. That's why he had so much faith in it. That's what it well, was yeah. all about. Especially after second coming when uh, Emma sees like that spurt of the uh, dark Phoenix, right? Or the Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. At the end where, and, and by the way, and what great drama, the return of the mutants is going to be heralded by someone that Emma is fundamentally traumatized by and does not like and is terrified of. 
great setup and all that stuff. So it's it's unfair for Cyclops to get mm-hmm. that much hate because at the end of the day, he got mutants to where they needed to be. And I've said this before. I don't think anyone but Scott and Emma could have gotten the mutants through the Messiah era. And it Cyclops, Wolverine, excuse me, Wolverine would have been able to do it. And Xavier Magneto would have been pointless. You know what I mean? Like it just wouldn't have worked. So I think Scott, I feel I think it would Cyclops have been weird. <laughs> Yeah. No. Cyclops yeah. Was Cyclops right. was right. Yeah, I would agree. Cyclops was right. I was. I was always like when I was a youngin, not knowing my comics. I was always like, Cyclops is just like a pretty boy who doesn't know what he's doing. But then, like the more I read, I'm like, I love this guy. But Cyclops has such a great growth. If you read Grant Morrison's New X Men all the mm-hmm. way through to uh, AVX. The character has grown significant. He goes from being Absolutely. traumatized by Insabanor to finding his footing in Astonishing X-Men to becoming the leader during Messiah Complex to pulling the hard punches or throwing the hard punches in AVX. Well, making the well, like he built up to be like the man who makes these really big decisions, even if it makes him look bad. You know, like he yeah. uh, like that's kind of like what like uh like I think that's why I like Uncanny X Men by Kieran Gillen during that time really oh, well. Yeah. I feel like he wrote Cyclops in a very great way, especially like that aftermath issue. I think it's like the last issue of that run. Yeah, where it's him and Beast talking to each other. I think. Yeah, and it goes back to like you know, well, for, I've referenced that scene countless times. Got to hate. <laughs> I hate that scene so much not because of how it's written i love how it's mm-hmm. written but because of hank mccoy and it. this is when my hate for hank mccoy started which is like oh cyclops everything you did all the 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 turmoil across this planet all the new mutants that are merging now are going to be in trouble and cyclops is like wait hank what did you say new and mutants. he's here like what what do you mean new mutants he's like they're new mutants because that's what he was fighting for cyclops mm-hmm. was not fighting for an ideology he wasn't fighting for any personal agenda. He was fighting to make sure the mutants survive. So the fact that Hank McCoy comes in and casually drops that they're new mutants, and Hank is like, yes, I guess you were right. The Phoenix did come back and repower the mutant race, but you're still the worst person ever. And that last shot of Cyclops going like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it, it, perfect. Chef's kiss. See, yeah, I'd see, I love that. And it's strange with Beast because, like, because we would just talked about endangered species, and so it's like weird how he kind of just accepts it now, and then like almost like his priority, especially when you see in Bendis's run, is like he wants to expose how much of a villain Cyclops he thinks, like how much he thinks Cyclops has become, you know. I I just don't understand it because in Bendis's run, he outwardly lies to the kids and says. Oh, you, you know, what you guys are doing here is because there's a mutant genocide that Scott Summers causes. And it's like, that's not true. No, and I don't <laughs> I don't understand what it's never really fully explored. What the fuck happened between Hank and Scott and why he had that level of disdain for Scott when, again, Beast was on the front lines researching mm-hmm. what happened. He Beast got to give him credit was doing everything in his power to find out what how to undo uh, Wanda's curse. 
Yeah. He looked at it from a from a magical perspective, a medical perspective, a scientific perspective. He could not find an answer in endangered species, and he was defeated by it. Cyclops like, got the answer. Like what? The I fuck? get it's weird. It's sorry you found it and I didn't find it, so now I'm Maybe. pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible, but it's it's a really interesting year. I'm so glad you're reading it. Mm-hmm. Or you read it past tense. Well. I, it's weird. I read all of it out of order, and so I've been wanting to like go back to it, at, like second read through to already to have the knowledge that I have now and, and have a better understanding of it. Reading through it again, I guess. I remember reading uh, Fraction's Uncanny X Men and stuff, and did not enjoy it at all. I thought it was bad. Yeah, it's. Well, the Greg and listen, we saw Greg Land at MegaCon. He's a he's a really nice guy, but the Greg Land art was a bit too stiff, and Matt Fraction's writing was a bit too stiff. And and we know Matt Fraction's a capable writer, very capable. Oh, absolutely. Writer. And I and which I think is unfortunate because it it uh, uh it overshadowed Carrie's run that was happening at the exact same time. Oh, I yeah. feel like. Well, because it was the A book, right? And mm-hmm. you know the X. Well, and then in X Force, I I feel like was popular at that time too because no, it was very popular. Well, I mean, every at that that era of comics in general, like the more violent, the better. For some reason, like the more realistically violent, the better. I mean, that's how all time. the com. That's how all it was, and I not that it started with Civil War, but like I feel like Civil War really popularized it maybe i may be wrong maybe even like avengers disassembled kind of really popularized it or something ultimatum yeah well not really that book sucks but it was so violent it was i mean listen i'm always gonna love to see jvd get devoured by the blob but even i I don't even even as an adult i'm looking i look at that art sometimes like oh you know that's grody. Well, and then uh, Hank Bim comes in and bites his head off. Bite his head off. Yeah, it's just. I it's don't... such a weird. That's such a weird time. Like, why could you look at books and say, that's going to sell? Or that's good. Or we got to put this out. <laughs> well, it's so weird. The original X Force, you know, the Rob Liefeld X Force mm-hmm. was originally supposed to be the more violent cousin of Jim Lee's X Men. But not grotesque violence. You know, I mean, what I mean, you can be violent, but you don't have to be super bloody with guts coming out or be super detailed in everything. Yeah. I mean, you can be violent and still be fun. Did I guess. you did you like Messiah War? Messiah War wasn't too bad. I I've been really wanting to get into Bishop's character, and so I've been wanting to dive deep into that. Uh, I don't remember Messiah War too well. I mean, they brought Strife back, who had been missing in the comics at the time. And mm-hmm. there is this really lovely scene, though, where they meet up with Cable and Hope, Baby Hope is there. And she walks by, she turns back and she sees everyone. And they all, like, Laura takes off her mask and they're looking at her. They're like, oh my God, <laughs> there's a Messiah baby. And it was, I think the line was from Emma you know, later on or maybe before where Emma was like, this generation is really excited about the baby because it means they won't be the last. And you just mm-hmm. saw that in Laura's face. So again, great character moments. I, I They hit character beats, but in terms of the overall story and stuff like that, I'm going to agree with you. It's kind of like, meh. 
lackluster. It's so, it's so weird because there's so many shiny moments within all this era and stuff, but there's so much... It's overshadowed by the end result, unfortunately. Yeah. It's just, like, the thing about AVX that I'm going to say that really just, like, irks me is that it was not a jumping on point for new readers. And listen, maybe Marvel sold so much money, so much of these issues and they made so much money. My little brain can't figure it out. But if you were following the stories at the time and this was supposed to be an ending, I don't know why they didn't respect what came before and tell a proper ending. And then you could have picked up an AVX anytime. You Editorially, you can wave your hand mm-hmm. and the X-Men versus the Avengers can happen. But I think Destiny is foreseeing another AVX in the timeline in mm-hmm. Immortal X-Men. I think that's on the on the timeline, along with a Nimrod-level, Extinction-level event, which I'm theorizing is definitely going to be the Hellfire Gala. Ooh, I could see that. I think it's going to be a red wedding at the at the at the Hellfire Gala. That's the only possible explanation, given everything they keep saying about it. Well, speaking of Immortal X-Men, I mean. I I remember one of the last times we talked about like the current X books, which I think was last summer. Man, we oh, need we to had talk you for more. Dark Web. We 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 had you for yeah, Dark Web. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's your like? How are you? What do you think of like Sins of Sinister? Like the current, uh, like what are your thoughts about the current books and everything kind of coming up for Fall of X? So I'm excited for. I think they're doing such great build up for Fall of X. Mm-hmm. I'm so on board. But here's the thing. The, it's like we were going through Dark Web and Dark Web wasn't even finished. Mm-hmm. And they started Sins of Sinister. And Sins of Sinister had a strong start. That first issue, I think everyone enjoyed it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think. I know for anyone. sure I did. And now it's kind of like, okay, well, now we're promoting Fall of X. And so we know it's going to center around the present and the fall of Krakoa, you know, presumably mm-hmm. the fall of Krakoa. What ramifications is Sins of Sinister really going to have? There was also an X-Men vote. You know, that does that even... No one's even talking about the X-Men vote. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's... I, I think they need to pump the brakes a little bit and let stories breathe. I thought Dark Web did not end very well. I think it's it was a missed opportunity to not have Sinister there. And Maddie and Gene just having a moment and be like, hey, we were both abused by this man cyclops was manipulated since childbirth like we were all three victims here doesn't excuse what cyclops did but this is a chance editorially to redeem that bad blood with maddie gene and scott and i don't we got a cute scene with puppies well i think i think with that i think with dark web i think it's at first i think it was it's it's more of a spider-man crossover then yes 100 agreed 100 and uh i think what they were going with that event was just take these characters have as much fun with them but that's it basically and i i don't think there was any intention of wanting to do really good character work or oh well i mean i i really enjoyed duggan's dark x-men or uh, uh dark web x-men i thought that was actually really good I had a lot of fun with that. I, and, listen, I thought it was fun. I just don't think it hit the notes it had to do. It wasn't bad writing by any means. No, it was, I think they would just to have use these toys and have fun with it. Exactly. I, I think that's a very fair. I think that's fair. I, I thought, wait, 
why does Mary Jane have powers? Has that been described? Has that been revealed yet? That's the funny thing is that that final issue has not come out yet for that to be revealed. So I don't know if that's going to be revealed in the Mary Jane and Black Cat issue or in the current ASMM run, which is answering the questions of what did Peter do six months ago? Okay. Okay. I, I'm just confused by all of it. I don't think it's bad. When we were covering, um, oh my God, what was it called? On the podcast, on Masters of Comic Books, the era where uh, Ben Riley took over as Spider-Man. Oh yeah, the Beyond era? The I Beyond actually, era. I, I, I thought really, it was so I, well done. It was very well done. I love uh, like the three times monthly books because I love how I, I love like the big buildup. I didn't like the ending to it. I thought it was kind of poorly done, but overall the ending was I not the ending. Uh, overall the story's fun. I really enjoyed that entire uh, quick little beyond era from the spider office. And I think that's why I like, I have uh, a fondness of the brand new day stuff actually because i love like a writer's room like that and everyone kind of contributing and stuff uh in the main title i know brand new day kind of gets a lot of shit but i have fun with that era i i just like it when all the writers are on the same page that you can tell it's one seamless story from one issue to the next that's what i liked about the beyond story yeah Um, me too um the one thing that always sticks out to me is that I think I forget who the writer was, if it was Zeb Wells or not, but answers that Mary Jane is not your soulmate because it was Zeb Wells. Because it was like the first or second issue of that. Everyone knew it wasn't Peter, even black cat and Mary Jane's like, I got a call from Peter. It's like, "Mm, mm, mm." so that's the one thing that's always stuck with me. Little details like that. But that's when you write up to your readers, when you write up to the story, like I feel like it, it lands well with people. So well, what's really funny actually is ASM, uh, Amazing Spider-Man's get has ever since the new run with Wells and Ramita Jr. came out is just continues to get shit on. Really? Oh yeah. Like every time I post a review about it, like the comments I get of people saying I'm wrong for liking it or Zeb Wells is an idiot or Peter is written wrong or whatever. It's so much shit, dude. It's crazy. I try to ignore comments. I don't read comments as much anymore. I just, it, it, I just find it funny. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just get a kick out of it of how much hate it's getting and it's not getting the chance to actually happen. You know, like I think it's just getting a lot of hate because Mary Jane and Peter Parker aren't together, but that's just, my opinion. I mean, well, I mean, take that up with Joe Casada back in like 2004 when he did um One More Day. Why was it? One I think that was 2007. Was, was it 2007? When... Really? Yeah, two... yeah, because 2004 was when JMS was in the middle of his run, I think. People were so angry when One More Day came out. Oh, that. I'll never forget like the amount of hate and people losing their shit. I don't know if it's paid off. I don't know what retrospectively how people care about that. I mean, people would probably say no because Mary Jane has not because they haven't been together for 10 plus years. So, yeah, but there's some good stories in there. I could go on about Spider-Man for about all that Spider-Man. This could be a spin-up podcast on (laughs) Spider-Man. I can do it. (laughs) We had one planned. We did. And we I, we had one post. 
<laughs> um, cool. What what do you have coming up? What tell us? Uh, the same old stuff, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I just I don't have anything going on. I just post and post reviews weekly. I post uh, my poll list weekly. It's about it. I mean, I'm I'm working. You're working. Yeah, I'm a library director. I love my job. I love it. Do you get to order comic books? I oh, you do. Did. You just said you you ordered Zoe's memoir. So yeah, I I or I sprinkle in two or three, uh, graphic novels month for monthly orders. So I love that. I hate it. Like I used to get like like weird side eye from some friends who are like, "Oh, you read comics." I'm like, comic books are really great medium. I I'm sorry. Like I don't know what you you, you get high concepts of literature in there of sci-fi literary theory and you have to metabolize it it improves your reading comprehension people think it rots your brain when it doesn't for i mean listen they're engaging with this community they know where to find you but why don't you give the plugs for masters i am on instagram on masters of comic books that's about it <laughs> <laughs> and the podcast is archived so you can definitely check yeah, it out you can out yeah there. if you want to listen to us just ran about the most random stuff. We talked about Moon Knight. Uh, we had my brother on a few times, and we had some great interviews within there. And it's a great time. It's just life. I, I'm so busy. Also, my computer doesn't work, so I can't edit, edit episodes anymore. I'm using my brother's computer right now. So I did notice it was your brother's name when you signed on to the Zoom. Oh, I didn't even real. Oh, yeah, it does say Peyton Daniel. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, but we had um, we did some like the the top worst comic book crossovers, and then that was a crossover. That oh yeah, we with Geekable. With Geekable. We had Elizabetta, who was an inker. She joined us internationally. She's actually uh, inking, uh, helping out Sarah Pacelli with uh, Scarlet Witch. I saw I actually, her name. In the I credits. do feel I knew that. I do think, and I remember that interview because it was so much fun. Yeah, and we have the top three Zelda games. We did that with our brothers, with both. Yeah, our brothers. we did a brother podcast, and uh, we even had Michelle on uh, for our favorite uh, uh, female characters. And oh stuff. my god, you're right! And Michelle is unofficially or officially our player three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shout out to Michelle. I love Michelle. I miss. I miss her. her. I really? hope she's doing well. Yeah, I, I always see her like cosplays and stuff, and uh, her at cons. So I hope she's doing well. I I don't really message her, but I hope she's doing well. We are we are planning something for for san diego which i'm really excited for if we can make it happen but i had to cut it out from a recent (laughs) podcast because i don't want it to get out but um yeah so we're at power of x-men obviously familia hit us up check out the podcast i don't know whatever is up now (laughs) (laughs) we do have some exciting news on the horizon that we will share but we'll see you guys next week